Tonight we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled Traveling with Moses. A look at God's man on his journey of life. And you know we're on a journey of life too, aren't we? So as we're looking at Moses, we're looking at ourselves. As we're learning lessons that Moses learned, we're being reminded of lessons perhaps that we need to learn or have learned. Traveling with Moses. Tonight's message is found in Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. God's will, or our will, is the God's will, or our will. Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. An interesting story in the life of Moses as he's on a journey to Egypt. From that journey to Egypt, he will go to the wilderness, but he'll never make the promised land. But let's read about it. Exodus 4, beginning with verse 19. And the Lord said unto Moses while he was in Midian, Go and return to Egypt. For all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons. He set them upon a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And he took with him the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When thou goest to return unto Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thy hand. But I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But Pharaoh, if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will take your son from you, even your firstborn. Verse 24, And it came to pass by the way in the end, that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. What a change of story. The Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Zipporah took a sharp stone, his wife, and cut off the foreskin of her son, cast it at the feet of Moses and said, Surely you are a bloody husband to me. So, God let him go, and then she said again, A bloody husband you are because of this circumcision. Well, that's our story. I wish I could tell you it answered a lot of questions. It probably raised a lot of questions. But let's think about what we just read. Moses has been called of God out of Midian, where he's been living for a number of years, to return to Egypt. His return to Egypt has a twofold purpose. First of all, he's going to deliver God's people, the Hebrews, out of the bondage of the Egyptians. He's going to set them free. It's a mission of deliverance. He's also going to take God's people who will be delivered from Pharaoh out of Egypt. 
He's to take them to the promised land. A place that God has promised them that flows with milk and honey. A place that they can live in peace and prosperity all of their days. A place God has especially prepared for them. As Moses travels to Egypt, he understands that a showdown is going to occur. Moses, a worshiper and servant of the true and living God, Yahweh, is going to take on Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and his many false gods that he worships and serves. Whenever you look at things in the Bible, there's always a physical dimension and a spiritual dimension to it. When David took on Goliath, it was not just an Israelite versus a Philistine. I want you to know that. It was God versus Satan. And they were operating through David and through Goliath. And here we see the same thing. It's not just Moses versus Pharaoh. It's the God of Moses. Versus the gods of Egypt. A showdown over supremacy. As Moses is traveling to Egypt for this mission of deliverance and exodus, as he's traveling to Egypt for this showdown with Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt, he's stopped by God. God stops him. And God tells him, I'm going to kill you. Wow. Does that make any sense? God has just called him. Just gave him the mission. Deliver my people from Pharaoh. Take my people to the promised land. I'm going to use you to bring Pharaoh to his knees and to humiliate the false gods of Egypt. And now God says to Moses, stop right where you're at. I'm going to take your life. Moses, you're going to die at my hand, thus saith the Lord. One minute, he's on top of the mountain with God. <laughs> and just as quickly as he was on the top of the mountain with God, now he's in the valley and God is against him. What's up? Boy, what a dramatic turn, 180 degree turn. It's like waking up and it's 90 degrees outside and you go to bed and it's 10 degrees below zero. What's happened here? What's the issue? Why is God upset with Moses enough that he's going to take Moses' life? It's all over a matter of circumcision. Circumcision was a physical surgery performed on the Hebrew males. That was to be a reminder to them, then and for all the days of their life, that they're not to live in the flesh, but by the power of God's Spirit. As the chosen nation of God, as the chosen people of God, they did not have to operate in the flesh. They need to get rid of the flesh and allow the spirit and power of the living God to 
provide for them and to protect them and to give them peace and whatever they'll face in the journey of life. The removal of this flesh from the male Hebrew boys was to be a visible, symbolic reminder. We do not live in the flesh. We live in the power of the Spirit. Now, all males that were Hebrew were to be circumcised. No exceptions to the rule. All sons of Hebrew families were to be circumcised. Now, Moses circumcised the first son that he had. But he has not circumcised the second son that he has. For whatever reason, and we'll talk about some of those reasons, Moses has not done what God commanded him and all the other Hebrew fathers and mothers to do. He's not circumcised his second son. God has been patient with him because God is patient. God has been long-suffering with him because God is long-suffering. God has waited upon Moses because God waits upon us sometimes. Aren't you glad he does? But God now is tired. His patience has run out. His long-suffering is over. He's tired of waiting. He's now come to Moses and said, You will do what I've told you to do or I will take your life. Moses, circumcise Eliezer or face death. That's your two options. Your fate is in your hands. Wow. God got upset over something like that? Yeah, God got upset. When God gives a command, ladies and gentlemen, God expects obedience doesn't matter if we understand. It doesn't matter if we agree. God expects obedience to his commands. Moses doesn't know what to do. His wife, Zipporah, is absolutely against her second son being circumcised. She saw what a circumcision was with her first son. She's not a Hebrew. She's a Midnight. She's not familiar with this practice. But she allowed it to happen to her first son. And she was appalled at the amount of blood that was shed in this surgery. She was appalled at what seemed to be a butchering of a baby boy. And she said, absolutely, it's not happening again. I'm his mama. I'm his mother. I have a right in this to speak my mind, and I'm saying to you, Moses, you ain't doing it. You're not doing it. And Moses, for whatever reason, maybe just to keep Mama happy, backs away from what God commanded him to do, and he doesn't do it. And now God has stepped in and said, you will now listen to me or you will die. Now, Zipporah, Moses' wife, is aware of what's taking place. And though she is against it with all of her 
motions, she goes ahead and she does the circumcision of her son Eliezer. She does it. And she throws the flesh of that surgery at her husband. She said, you my husband, you are a bloody butcher. She gets angry. She's sarcastic. She's defiant to God. God, I'm only doing this because you're bullying me. And Moses, I'm only doing this to save your hide. But I want you to know I'm totally against all of this, this bloodiness, this religion that calls for us to butcher our sons. Now that's the story. You say, Pastor, wow, that, that's a pretty good story. <laughs> what, what does it mean to us? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to pull out some truths now and share them with you. He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit now will say to the church. What are some lessons that we can learn from all this? Well, the first lesson I believe we can learn tonight is this. Spiritual compatibility is important when you're deciding who to marry. I didn't say physical compatibility. I didn't say mental compatibility. I didn't say emotional compatibility. Those things are important. They have their place. But the highest priority when you're looking for someone to marry, to make your husband or wife, and to live out the rest of your life in the covenant of marriage, the most important thing to look for is spiritual compatibility. The Bible has much to say about marrying someone who's a non-believer, although Christians do it all the time, in defiance to the Word of God. The Bible has much to say about marrying people whose faith is different than ours or who come from a culture that is radically different than ours because those differences can be major problems after the honeymoon wears off. Many people get married assuming that love conquers everything, and it does for about two weeks. And then all of a sudden, all these little annoying things that each other does gets on each other's nerves. When you were courting, it didn't seem to matter. But now that you're married two weeks in, all of a sudden, it's a big deal. So it's very important that if you're a Christian, you do not marry outside your faith or marry somebody of no faith. It's also important that you do not marry somebody whose idea of faith, their theology of faith, is far different than yours, or their way of living out their faith is dramatically different than yours. The, the Bible says whenever we are put in a position or situation to marry somebody who's a non-believer or to yoke ourselves to someone whose faith is different or whose idea of how to live out that faith is different. The Bible has word for us. Don't do it! Because you will learn to regret it one day. Incompatibility spiritually always leads, listen to your pastor, always leads to dysfunction and disaster down the road. Now I want you to understand 
when Moses married Zipporah, she was not an atheist. She was not an agnostic. She was a believer in her own way. She wasn't a Hebrew. She was a Midnight. She was monotheistic in her worship. In other words, she didn't worship multiple gods. She wasn't an idol worshiper. She worshiped one god. And she worshiped that God based on her understanding of that God. And she lived out her faith based on the things that she was taught about her faith. But how she was taught and what she believed and how she lived out her Christian life, listen to me, was 180 degrees different than Moses. And as I said, before they had children, they kind of worked it out. But after children came on the scene, these differences were magnified dramatically. And instead of working them out, they began to work against them. And Zaborah, who, who was a good girl, I don't want to bash her, she was a good girl. She now is becoming resistive to Moses, to his theology, and to his way of living out faith. That's not the way I was raised. I don't want to believe this about God. I don't want to do this that God says we're to do. Particularly when it comes to circumcision, it's a bloody religion by a God who's mistaken. He should not be giving us these things to do. And so they're becoming incompatible. Reminds me of two women who were talking about marriage. And the older woman said to the younger woman, she said, when I get my way, when I get my way with my husband, it's called compromise. The younger wife said, well, what is it called when he gets his way? She said, a miracle. <laughs> Moses is compromised in order to try to work out something with his wife to keep her happy. And that's why Moses hasn't circumcised the second son. Zipporah is opposed to it. And may I also add, she doesn't want to go to Egypt. She's a midnight girl. Her family is in Midian. Not only does she not want to circumcise Eliezer, but she doesn't want to go to Egypt. She says, Moses, I know God called you to go to Egypt, but he can call somebody else. Mom and daddy are here in Midian. My brothers and sisters are here in Midian. My aunts and uncles are here in Midian. My favorite store is here in Midian. I've been in Midian all my life. I'm not going to Egypt with you. And if I go, I'm promising you, I'm not staying long. So as they're on this journey to Egypt, there's a circumcision issue. There's a calling of God issue. And it's creating friction and tension in their marriage. Moses has tried to spiritually compromise where he can't do it anymore. And God doesn't like compromise, by the way, when it comes to spiritual things. 
You can compromise on a lot of things in life, but don't you compromise on spiritual things. Mama's not happy, nobody's happy, but listen to your pastor. If God's not happy, nobody will be happy either. And it's better to make God happy than it is to make sometimes your spouse. But I've been around long enough to see many times husband and wives will surrender their convictions in order to try to appease their spouse, to keep their spouse, and they don't keep them anyway. Who you choose to marry, young people, largely will determine if you have a heavenly life or a hellish life. I can tell you that. And we would all be very wise to pray for our young people when they have choices to make concerning partners. Pray that they'll be thoughtful. Pray that they'll be prayerful. Pray that they'll be slow in what they're doing and allow the leadership of God to unfold in it. If God is in it, it'll work. And if God is not in it, you don't want to be in it. May I say one more thing? Listen to your parents, young people. There's nobody who loves you more than your mom and daddy. And if your mom and daddy aren't comfortable with you dating somebody, if your mom and dad aren't comfortable with you marrying somebody, there's a reason for that. You need to listen to them. Save yourselves a lot of heartbreak and hell down the road. What else can we learn from Moses? Well, first of all, we learn the importance of marrying somebody that you have a compatible faith with. He didn't. And it would cause him problems the rest of his life. Though they would stay married, and they should stay married. Second thing I think we can learn from this is fear will keep a man from doing God's will. Fear will keep a man from doing God's will. Moses knew God's will. He knew he was supposed to circumcise his second son. He knew that. He knew that he was to go to Egypt and confront Pharaoh, that he was going to be God's instrument, God's man, to deliver the Hebrew people out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. He knew that. But he did not circumcise his son. And you can recall when God called him to go to Egypt, what did he do? He made what? Excuses. You see, many of us think the excuses were because he said, well, I, I can't talk. No, the excuse was he didn't want to go. He didn't want Aaron to come with him. He wanted Aaron to go, period. He wanted to stay back in Midian. Because that's what his wife wanted. And he did that because of fear. Specifically, the fear of losing his wife. If I circumcise the second son, she's going to have a, a, a conniption fit. You heard that word before? She's going to have a temper tantrum. She's going to go into an outrage. She's going to make my life miserable. I don't want to have to deal with it. He'll stay uncircumcised. She doesn't want to go to Egypt. She is going to nag me. She's going to fuss at me. She's going to be make my life a living, miserable existence. I think I'm just going to ask God not to send me and send Aaron. I'm afraid of her. 
I'm afraid that I'll lose her if I do what God wants me to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, we find that God will often test His people to see if they will listen to Him. Because in listening to Him and obeying Him, we show that we're fit for His service. Listen to what Deuteronomy 13, verse 3 and 4 says. We'll pick up in the middle of verse 3. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him and to Him alone. In context, false prophets were trying to lure the people of God away. God speaking through Moses says to the people of God, you better not listen to them. You better listen to God. You better listen to me. And by your listening to me, you show your obedience to me. And by showing your obedience to me, you show me whether I can use you or not. You see, fear makes losers out of winners, cowards out of heroes. Fear makes misery out of a blessing. Moses thought, if I just compromise my convictions. After all, circumcision is a little minor thing. God doesn't really care. And the calling of God, listen, there's plenty of guys that God can call other than me. If I just compromise my convictions, I'll keep her. I'll keep her happy, I'll be happy, life will be fine. No, it won't. What Moses was going to learn was this. When you compromise your convictions to keep somebody out of fear, you will lose them. When you do what is right by faith, God will make a way for you to keep them. Yes, Zabora would go back to Midian once they arrived in Egypt. She'd leave him. But God would work in her life because Moses chose to trust God. God would work in her life and bring them back together, we're going to see later as we study the life of Moses. You see, the things that we want to keep, we lose if we're afraid. But the things we want to keep, we'll keep, or God will keep, I should say, if we'll just walk by faith with Him. Last thing that I believe we can learn from this, and it's point number three, our god size determines most of our decisions in life. I didn't say your hat size (laughs) or your belt size or your shoe size. Your God size. How big is your God? 
Answer that question to, in your mind right now. How big is your God? As Moses begins this journey to Egypt, the size of his God is pretty small. After all, he's in fear of his wife. He's in fear of Pharaoh. He's in fear of doing what God told him to do, circumcise his second son. He's in fear of confronting Pharaoh. He's in fear of delivering God's people. He's in fear of leading God's people to the promised land. Moses' God, as he begins this trek to Egypt, is like that. And by the way, some of your gods, as you look at me, that's about the size of your God right now, too. You really don't have a very good idea about your God because he's so small in your eyes. How big is your God? Is he big enough that you would obey him without question? Is he big enough that you will trust him though you don't understand him? Is he big enough to keep for you what you consider valuable and irreplaceable? Is he big enough to change your mind no matter how stubborn you are? Is he big enough to change your heart no matter how cold it may be? Is he big enough to meet your needs? Is he big enough to protect you from your adversaries? Is he big enough to heal your sickness? Is he big enough to give you peace in the midst of storms? Is he big enough to save a soul? How big is your God? Because that shows by the decisions you make. And Moses' decisions up until this time, his God has been so small and puny that he's compromised everything. But on his way to Egypt, God met him. And God changed his size in Moses' eyes. Moses' fear would turn to faith. His compromise would turn to convictions. This boy would turn into a man on the road to Why? Because his God grew up before his eyes. How big, as I close this message, is your God? Is he big enough to heal your marriage? Can he do that? Is he big enough to meet your needs, whatever those needs would be? Is he big enough to protect you from your adversaries and your enemies? Is he big enough to give you peace in the midst of the most violent storms you'll ever be in? Is he big enough to heal your body? Is he big enough to save a soul of somebody that you love, that you say cannot be saved? It's impossible for him to be saved. Is he big enough? Is he big enough? Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.